0: Ah, as it is, we've already gotten a couple of, of images, but we are taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to focus on, well, if we live chapter five, what might it look like? And we want to see snapshots of the kingdom. And So we've already started getting a couple of pictures from you guys, but we want to see how is the kingdom of God happening in your life or around you? And it could look like, well, it could look like anything as long as it's kingdom business. As long as it's you loving God and loving neighbor or you see something happening, I don't know, maybe it's uh, the person across the street, they can't rake their leaves and you notice a couple of boys from down the street come and they rake that person's yard. That's kingdom business. It doesn't have to be these huge, it's these micro moments of the kingdom that we want to celebrate. And so... Send us your pictures. Take pictures and send it to us to office at ponaz.church. And we want to celebrate all next month how the kingdom of heaven is breaking into our lives and our world even now. Amen? Amen. Second thing we want to talk about. Night of worship is October 9th. This Tuesday we're going to have a special guest and you are welcome to join us. Um, and we, we hope that you will. Tuesday nights. At 7 o'clock, Celebrate Recovery is happening. Celebrate Recovery is for anybody that has hurts, habits, or hang-ups. And honestly, that's probably about all of us. So, if you're available, they have a great group. They've got a band that's singing, and and Danny and Tara lead, and it's amazing. But they're also, on October 9th at 7 o'clock, right here having a night of worship. I went to the last one, which was down in uh, New Smyrna, and there were how many of us, uh, Lisa, 40, 50? I mean, there was a great group there. I mean, the place was packed, and we want to pack this place out as well. So, even if you don't normally come to CR, come to a night of worship. It's going to be amazing. And the last thing is November 14th. We are having a celebration. We are going to be partying out. Big time! We're still working out the details, but here's what we have so far: We are going to have this building paid off, and we are going to celebrate by torching that bad boy. Not the, not this building, not the building bad boy. The, the the paperwork. Building is still going to be here, I hope. Please don't misunderstand me. But we're hoping, weather permitting. Wow, I should not do that on the communion table, probably. We're hoping to have a celebration outdoors. It's going to be a very unusual type of Sunday. We're still going to start at 10, but it's going to be fun and excitement and up, upbeat things happening. Maybe some things for kids. We don't know. We're still figuring it all out. But we know that we're going to have boxed lunches for everyone. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to have sign-up sheets in the lobby Um, Or a way to electronically register. But we want to know who's coming so that we can provide food for you. And we are going to celebrate what God is doing. Um, What an amazing thing. I mean, most churches are not in the position that we're in. And what that does is that frees us up to take all this money that was going to the bank. And now it can go into our community. And into the lives of hurting. And into people. And it allows us to even more be the kingdom of heaven because we have one less tie to us so i'm excited about that i hope that you'll make plans to be here november 14th at 10 o'clock all right i think Perfect. i'm done right
1: yes uh quick question on that are, are we able to bring gasoline uh no don't, okay okay no don't gasoline no, for gasoline. those all right we'll we'll no gasoline a, a sorry, and sorry. all right I tried, I tried i tried it's for like the pyros you know i used to like i was a kid like seven years old in my room my mom's like in her room and i was like burning one of my gi joes in the in the room with like a lighter i was like that kid i'm always like just you know and, and half of them were all burnt up i know i know so maybe i might not show up there no guys uh we're coming to a time of the service where we get to continue to worship god in our in our tithes and offerings and jason said it last week perfectly i was watching online he said you know we don't have mortgage burnings without this right and uh and god is so faithful and I want to tell you uh, one quick story. I almost want to leave it because we're a little behind, but I want to tell you this quick story on how God is faithful and has nothing to do with money. And sometimes, you know, when we think of tithes and offer, we're always thinking money, 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 but it's even offering of our time and of our our, our resources. And do you guys have anybody in your life that you're like, man, I've been praying for this person for a long time to get saved. And like there's even a part of you that might doubt if that would ever come about, but you're like, man, you know, maybe it's a family member, a mother a brother a sister whatever the case is and you've just been waiting so long and this week two nights ago i gotta pause for a second so i don't turn into even mess, start crying my brother called me up mm. and he is a very analytical guy and he's always just seeing things from like a you know proof 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 proof, proof and and I, and I didn't realize as much as God was working on it throughout all these years. And he calls me up an hour after he was supposed to get off of work. And he said, uh, I just got off of work. i done with the sale or whatever the case is. I said, okay, cool. He said, but I want to let you know the guy that was with me was a pastor. And he prayed with me. And I prayed and, and I, I, I'm saved. Wow. And I didn't even believe him at the moment. I, told, I was like, yeah, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And I told him, I said, give me the number to the customer. And I hung up the phone with my brother and I called him. And I said, hey, this is Justin with John's Appliance. Yes? You were with my brother, and the guy goes, yes, am I in trouble? And I go, no, 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 I just need to ask you something. Did you pray with my brother? And he goes, we did. And he starts telling me all about their whole entire conversation, and he's like, and I just started bawling, and he's like, man, I take it you're happy. And I'm like, dude, this has been a long time waiting and for you to be God's, you know, tool in that moment for that time. But God is such a faithful God, and to get that phone call from my brother, man, I, I feel like I've testified more than he has about it. But, man, he, he's been saved after all these years, and just God is faithful he is. And so this is an opportunity where we can be faithful back to God. So let's just pray. Lord, you know, I'm not the only one that has a good story and a good testimony. And Lord, I don't believe you're done moving. You know, now I feel like I got a new meaning this week when I hear the songs that the blood is still the blood. You know, I have a new meaning when I hear about how faithful you are and how much you care for us, Lord. It means something more. And Lord, I know that you're still out there moving in others' lives. And so, Father, we take this time not only to ask you to bless this moment that we have here to offer and give back to you, but Lord, we take this time to just pray for those who we've been praying for for so long, who we've been hoping for for so long, Lord. Continue to do your work in our lives, and we trust you in who you are. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.
0: I was reading this N.T. Wright book, and he tells uh, the synopsis or the summary of a movie that maybe some of you have seen, but it's the movie that talks about the test pilots in the 1940s that first attempted to break the sound barrier. And There were these test pilots, and they were putting their lives at risk because nobody had ever done it. Nobody thought that you could go faster than the speed of sound, and so to do this was a Herculean type of thing, and so there were these test pilots, and they would go, and everyone was convinced that you would hit around the 700-mile-an-hour mark, which is just below the speed of sound, and... Things would start to go crazy, and your plane could fall apart. And actually, um, in the movie, they talk about how the control panels would start to go haywire, and then, you know, just planes were crashing, people were dying. And then, finally, there's this one pilot, and he thinks he figures it out. And he, he comes to decide that, hey, when we hit that 770 miles an hour Common sense says pull up on the nose to make sure that you don't you know, go downward. But everyone is nose diving. I, it feels like maybe the mechanics are switching and things are working backwards. And so when he hit that mark, instead of doing what every pilot had done, pulling up to make sure that they were sailing at over 700 miles an hour, he did the unthinkable and he went against everything that he knew within him and he pushed down. And he broke the barrier and went on to smooth sailing. And, and he went against everything that was conventional wisdom. Wisdom said you pull up, I mean, am I right? You, you pull up and you go up, you push down and you go down. That's kind of the way, I mean, I know there's a lot more to it to fly in an airplane, but that's kind of the gist of where the nose is going, and he went against everything within him, everything he had been taught, everything he felt, everything that made sense, and he did something different, and it changed life forever. Now, Chuck Yeager is the man who actually did that, and he has repeatedly said, that's not what happened. Please don't do this. That's just a great story. However, this image is a beautiful illustration of what the people sitting on the hillside as they were listening to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if this is kind of how they might have felt. Jesus is preaching these things and everything he is saying goes against conventional wisdom. It goes against everything they know. It goes against their Jewish culture. It goes against the Roman culture. It goes against every culture. None of it makes sense. And yet Jesus is saying... Will you trust me? I'm going to show you a better way. So we've been in the Sermon on the Mountain. We're going to finish it up today. We're going to finish chapter 5. And what I want you to do today, as we kind of summarize, I want you to think through as I'm just kind of summarizing sections. You know how when you break the sound barrier, there's this sonic boom? I want you to imagine, as Jesus is speaking, these metaphorical, these, these spiritual sonic booms, as all of a sudden Jesus is saying something that's like, boom, this is the way to live. Boom, this is the way to live. And it would have caught their attention, it would have startled them, it would have surprised them, and it would have got them completely thinking in a way they hadn't thought before. And so, remember, we, we've been talking about, we answer two questions. Who's speaking? Jesus is speaking. That one's a pretty easy one. And his message is found in Matthew four seventeen: Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the mission of Jesus. And then, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to a group of people. Chapter 4 says he acquired some disciples, and then he started to gather this mass, this group of people. And they weren't the high-ups, and they weren't the elites, and they weren't the Roman leaders. They were these nobodies, these riffraff, these discarded people. And Jesus begins to say things like, you're blessed when you're poor. Boom. And it would have caught their attention. I'm poor. (laughs) I mean, does that include me? Am, Am I one of the ones that Jesus is talking about? You're blessed when you mourn. Boom. You're blessed when you see things aren't right. and You hunger and thirst for righteousness. And and you just aren't content until you step in and try to make things the way they're supposed to be. You're blessed when you have humility. When you don't think of yourselves as more than you should. You're blessed when you're a peacemaker. Now in that time everyone would have been talking about overthrowing the Roman government or the Roman government would have been talking about oppressing those people. Peacemaker? Boom. Time and again, Jesus is... These sonic booms, that conventional wisdom says, no, 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 peace isn't the way. No, no, being meek isn't how you get ahead in life. I need to pull up on the handle. I mean, that's not the way it happens. Persecuted? I don't like being persecuted. Let's kind of pull away from that. And Jesus is saying, no, my kingdom is this upside-down kingdom. And these controls that you think you're following, that are teaching you how to live, they're really going to lead you to death if you don't trust me and if you don't start going a different way. And when you do, boom. Boom. You will break free in a way that no one has ever broken free before. You will break free in a way that will set your lives on a new trajectory that will change you and others around you forever. So Jesus gives all of these surprising statements and we call them the Beatitudes and they're, they're these statements that don't make any sense to anyone. Then he follows it up and he says, Hey, and guess what? You're salt. Boom. Your light. Boom. And they would have started thinking, wait a minute. There is nothing salty about my life. My life is stale. My life is meaningless. My life is nothing. And you're telling me not to be something, but that I am something? I don't have any light within me. I feel like these Romans are just pinching out every candle around me and my life is just going dark. And you're telling me not to be light, but that I am light? You're telling me that I am these God colors and these God flavors that are going to change the world? Boom. And Jesus is saying, yeah. And your life will never be the same if you'll just... Go a different way. And then Jesus talks about fulfilling the law and he says, hey, you know, I'm not telling you anything new. What I'm telling you is actually everything that you've known in the past, you've just known it wrong. I haven't come to change the law. I've come to show you how its fulfillment can take place in your lives and I'll show you by doing it in my life. But just in case you missed what I'm talking about. Let me give you a few more sonic booms. And then Jesus launches into these six statements that just go antithetical to everything that the world would know. And it's as if he's saying, I know the world has said, pull up on the stick and you'll keep flying. But I'm telling you, trust me, there's a different way. And he says, hey, you know, everyone says not to murder. Yeah, that's a good thing. But what about anger? I mean, that's the greater issue Murder is just the end result to anger left unattended. And really, the truth is, love is never hostile. So you got to get your anger under control. That's what the Scripture was talking about. And He says, well, let's talk about adultery. You talk about this act as if that is it. That's just the end result of lust kept unchecked. If you deal with lust, we'll take... We'll, we'll handle the rest because if you can handle, if you can take care of the core issue, these other results don't happen. Because the truth is, lust is nothing more than selfishness and love is not selfish. And let's talk about divorce. Boom. You treat divorce like it's some legal thing. Well, it's all right. The law gives me permission to divorce anyone for any reason. And so I'm just going to, you know, let's pay the priest a fee, swap some things around, and we're good, and I'll send the wife and the kids on the way, and I'll upgrade to a newer model. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. What you are doing is you are taking the law that was created to care for the marginalized, and you're using it as a weapon against them. What you're doing is you're dehumanizing someone when the law, when divorce was created, to help that person survive the divorce. Because love doesn't dehumanize. Love sees the person as deeply loved by God. And let's talk about the way you talk and the way you flippantly throw your words around. Your words should have meaning behind them. Don't swear by heaven or by earth or by God's throne. Hey, those aren't yours to swear by. You should live your lives with such integrity that when you say, I can help you, when you say, yeah, I'll be there with the moving truck. When you say, yeah, I can bring you over a meal. Your word is golden. It's like it's like in the olden days when it used to be like, you know, our contract was a handshake and that was good enough for me. When your word was your word and your word is your word and your word, word. And Jesus is saying... The greater issue isn't about each individual moment. It's about your honesty and your integrity. Because love isn't deceptive. And when you use your words to get around things, you're not living lives of integrity. And while we're talking about things that are opposite and things that we've misunderstood, let's talk a little bit about revenge. I mean, goodness. Conventional wisdom says, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And Jesus says, what if, what if you didn't get them back? What if not only you didn't do an eye for an eye, what if you did nothing and you forgave them? Because you understand that when you are set on revenge, you are only destroying your life. not about revenge specifically. It's about the animosity that will destroy the person that's harboring the hate. Because love doesn't keep score. Love loves and loves and gives and gives and gives and it gives all the way to not just your neighbor but your enemy. And we talked about how the, the Levitical law actually says, love your neighbor, I am the Lord. And over time they made it, love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? My neighbor is the person that thinks like me and acts like me and is close to me. So anyone else that's not my neighbor, I don't have to love them. So if I don't have to love them, I can hate them. So they change it into love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And Jesus is saying, no, boom. Something else. God's love is reckless and relentless and it will seek after you and it will pursue you. God's love is like that Samaritan, that hated person that did what nobody else would do and cared for that person that was injured on the road. That's what love is like. Love loves your neighbor as well as your enemy. And well, let's just define what neighbor really is. Your neighbor is anyone in front of you. There you go doesn't matter nationality, religion, race, gender, anything. Your neighbor is anyone in front of you and your neighbor is anyone in need. Let's just set it right and let that sink in and you could just hear this spiritual sonic boom crash over the hill. Because what Jesus was doing was going against hundreds of years of conventional wisdom. And they didn't like it. It didn't make sense to them. But Jesus is saying, I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here because the calling is to be perfect in the same way that God in heaven is perfect. I'm here to make you holy. Whether you're happy or not, that's nice. I'm here to make you holy. I'm here to make you complete. Wanting nothing, lacking nothing. I'm here to make you what you were designed to be. That is how you are to be perfect. When you are exactly as God created you, and you're functioning exactly as God created you, and you're loving people exactly as God created you to love them, you are living a life that the Greek word that Jesus uses, perfect, it would qualify. So I was reading um, some Wesley stuff. Wesley, in case you don't know, John Wesley is our, our theological forefather. He's the one that a lot of our thinking, our thinking comes through. And so he was talking about this perfect. And we talked about it a little last week. And it struck me as I was thinking about it, you know, this he's called us, God's calling us to be perfect, absolutely lacking nothing. And it happens when our souls and our hearts live out this walk of Jesus. And I started thinking about what my kids were telling me that they learned at camp a couple years ago, and how the word peace has a very similar definition to perfect. And I don't know that there's a correlation. I didn't go too deep into that. But it's interesting that when we talk about having peace with God and peace with each other, what we're talking about is that there's nothing missing And nothing broken. Nothing's missing. We have peace with each other. Nothing's broken. And I can't help but think, wow, that sounds a lot like what God is calling us to be when he says be perfect. Lacking nothing. Completely who we're supposed to be. When we live at peace with each other, that's how we begin to live this life of perfection that God is talking about so John Wesley said this about chapter 5 of Matthew he said that you really have to look at it at the whole let me just read what he says when he's talking on this perfection that we talk about in the last part of Matthew 5 he says when speaking of perfection perfection is and let me it's going to sound hundreds of years old because you know John Wesley and all uh, he said perfection is referring to all that holiness to so all that holiness, which is described in the foregoing verses, which our Lord, in the beginning of the chapter, recommends as happiness, and in the close of the chapter, of it as perfection. So really, we're talking about the same thing. It's just in the beginning Jesus is saying, people that are happy are this way, and at the end Jesus is saying, people that are perfect are this way, but really there's a lot of, you got to look at it as a whole. Because these last six antitheses that we've been working on for the past few weeks, these are what Jesus is giving examples of, of what Christian perfection would look like. But really, it's also what living out the first part of the chapter would look like. Let me give you some examples. When Jesus says in in verse 21, talking about anger, if you can learn to control your anger... You begin to live life as a blessed person who's a peacemaker, like he talks about in verse 9. When you can let go of your anger and you can start to have this peace and you can be a peacemaker, do you see the connection? Well, when he's talking about adultery, adultery is, is... when you have lusts gone wrong, when you want something more than you want what's right for you, and we often talk about it in sexual relations, but let's be honest, anything that supersedes your love for God is idolatrous and adulterous. So how do we live out Not living in adultery? Well, in Matthew 5, 8, we learn that we're blessed when we're pure of heart. When we say, God, will you take away this lust? Will you take away this desire? Will you take away everything within me that's not you? Because I only want the red letters. I I, I mean, I want the whole book. But I really want to make sure that I'm living what you're saying. Will you purify my heart? When we talk about divorce and we talk about dehumanizing people, and we talk about seeing them as objects to swap around or discard or trade in for something new. Man, that sounds an awful lot like people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness and justice. Let it flow down. And, and, and so... It's less about the act of divorce and it's more about, do I want justice and righteousness to take place in everybody's life? And for that to happen, I have to see you as human and not as an object for me to manipulate. When we talk about keeping our vows, love isn't deceptive. And then we think about verses 11 and 12 and it says, you know, bless when you're persecuted. People say false things against you. Hey, when they do... Don't join in. You're called to honesty. You're called to integrity, whether they show it or not. When it talks about revenge, love doesn't keep score. Think about the beatitude that talks, blessed are the persecuted. They're persecuted for doing right. Now, I'll admit, when people do the wrong things to me, I want to... Strike back and strike hard. But there's a whole different level when I'm doing the right thing. And they're still persecuting me. I really want to strike hard and strike back. And Jesus is saying, no, revenge isn't the way. Just just be thankful that you're doing right and be thankful that the kingdom of heaven is yours. And let me worry about it. When we're supposed to love our enemies, man, that's a tough one. We've been on that for a couple of weeks, but that, that's tough. Wesley talks about this perfect love has, is three things. It's perfect in its universality. God loves everyone. If you have a heartbeat, you fall under the canopy of God loving you. It's perfect in its compassion, which means it's not a transactional thing. You love me, so I love you. God loves everyone, even the people that say, I will not accept it. I refuse it. Thanks, but no thanks. God's compassionate love extends even there. And it's perfect in its practicality, which means it's love in action. It's not some... Ethereal, oh, I love everybody. Let's all talk about unicorns and butterflies. No, it's love and action. See a need, fill a need. It's hands and feet love. It's love and action love. It's get off the sidelines and get in the game type of love. That's what the love is like that Jesus is talking about. And when we live like that, we have this type of mercy that Jesus has, which is this deep concern and care, and, and you don't deserve it, but I love you anyway type of mercy, which goes along with blessed are the merciful. And here's the great news. As I show you mercy, God the Father continues to extend his mercy. It's not that I have to do that to have that, but I do this as a response to God's mercy. Love. So, as we've gone through chapter 5, I've got to be honest with you. Almost every week I've thought, well, this seems impossible. I don't know if you've felt that way. There are a few weeks that I've been like, okay, I can do this. And then there are other weeks I'm like, what? We've spent 24 weeks on Matthew 5. Half a year. And more, than, more times than not, I've thought, this is a beautiful concept. But this could never happen in the world. This could never happen in my world. So as we close out the chapter, I want to ask you, do you really believe it's possible? Do we really believe that what Jesus said is true? Do we really believe that Jesus would never call us to live this way if he didn't plan to empower us to live this way? And if we do believe that, then the question is, how do we live this way? And as we've been going through this half a dozen times this this past month, I've thought about the book of Romans. And I've thought about a chapter in Romans that deals with This holiness. Um, It it goes so well with the Sermon on the Mount. And the first half talks about this internal holiness, this internal sanctification. And if you were with us when we did Core 52 last year, it was the very first verse that we memorized. And I don't know if you remember it, but it's, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may be able to know what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That was a good place to start in Core 52, wasn't it? It's a good place to live on September 26th, 2021. And so the first half of Romans 12 talks about this internal sanctification, this internal holiness, this personal transformation that's taking place. And then the second half of Romans 12 talks about what would it look like corporately or collectively if there was this holiness among us. If there was this sanctification and we as a group, I'm set apart for a holy purpose, but we are set apart as a church for a holy purpose. And so I've summarized five, but I want to read Romans 12. And it's a little long, and I'm going to be reading it from the message translation because I want you to hear it with fresh ears. And so follow along as I read. So here's what I want you to do God helping you. Take your everyday, your ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out, which is exactly what, Matthew, what Jesus is telling us to be in Matthew. So even as we're continuing to read, I want you to think about, ooh, That sounds like one of the Beatitudes. Ooh, that sounds like one of the statements of Jesus. Ooh, that sounds familiar. So let's keep going. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Don't be slow. When God says do it, do it. Time is the enemy. If you feel God nudging you right now to pray, you need to pray or hit the altars or do it right now. Don't even wait till the end of the sermon. Time is the enemy. Do it quickly. And respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best. God brings the best of you. And he develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God's given me. And especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. All right, next one, Emma. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourself. Sounds like honesty and vows, doesn't it? As people who are bringing this goodness of God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us. Not by what we are and what we can do for Him. We can't do it. It's all a God thing. In this way, we are like various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole. Not the other way around. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole. That's tough for our egos, isn't it? But we are best when we're together. And we are the missing piece that is needed. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body... Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be. I love that. Without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves to each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated. That's hard, isn't it? I I I didn't even finish the phrase, don't let yourself get irritated. Um, That's hard for me. Um, and it has nothing to do with its disadvantaged i'm just an irritable guy i guess if you work with the disadvantaged don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them keep a smile on your face hold on a second emma go back in my bible and in the u version there are these little dots there that's typically where i've seen this breaking up of this is how i'm to act personally this is how i am to grow Holy and sanctified internally. And then the next section talks more about how Paul would have us do it collectively. So go ahead, Emma. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice Playing the second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the Master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. I love this. Be inventive in hospitality. This sounds a lot like Matthew 5 as well. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Sounds like a few of the Beatitudes. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the greatest somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. I love this. I love the way the message gives these very practical, this is what it could look like today. This is a snapshot of, the kingdom of heaven. Go buy that person a lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. If your generosity, your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Could you hear these echoes of Matthew chapter 5 and a lot of these phrases? Could you hear this internal transformation, this call for me to change personally? I need to be holy personally. But there's also this call for us as a collective group. We're here in Port Orange for a reason and for a purpose, and we are called to be what God has called us to be. So, I'm not going to read it. But four years ago, we finished... Our first series with me as your pastor. And it was a Roman series. And we finished with Romans chapter 12. And I wrote out a covenant. Things that we wanted to be as a people. And I see names here that are some of yours. I won't read all of it, but but basically part of it says, at Port Orange Church of the Nazarene, we want to live... We want to see transformed lives, transformed into the likeness of Christ. We long to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We realize and recognize that the words of Paul are calling our church not only to spiritual transformation, but also to physical transformation, putting hands and feet into action to reach our community with genuine love. And then I basically summarized What Paul said, we're going to strive to do these things. Be patient in times of trouble. Share the joys with others. Live lives of humility. And I went through and I listed what Paul said in Romans 12. And then I said, you don't have to sign it, but this is where we're heading. And if you want to be part of it, sign in. We had a good group sign it that day. Think a lot about this group. I think there are definitely parts of our church that have hit the mark. In parts of our church that maybe we didn't quite get it right. I'm thankful that God's grace still reaches and, and extends to us. So so my, my question is today, how can we put into action Matthew 5? I feel like a lot of times we say, hey, that was an okay message, or hey, I got something out of it, but I'm not going to apply it to any area of my life. We may not say that, but we don't do it. I think I think a lot of the times the reasons that we don't apply messages is because we run and we run our lives from a fear-based mentality. And here's what I mean. I was I was um, listening to a lady named Michelle Poehler, and she's uh, a motivational speaker, and she said um, she was about to do a very daunting task, and she was nervous, and she was, you know, about to lose it. And somebody came up to her with the best intention. And they said, "Hey, come on, it'll be fine. What's the worst that could happen?" And immediately she thought, "What's the worst that could happen? Oh my goodness! People could not like me. I could get embarrassed. They could reject what I say. I could look stupid. They could think of me differently." I could have bad feelings about myself, and everything she said was fear-based. And she said, I took a moment, I took a beat, and then I said, wait a minute. If I were to do this, what's the best that could happen? People might hear me. People might accept what I'm saying. I could change someone's life forever, not because of me, but because of the Jesus that's in the middle of the conversation. They could accept what I'm saying and join in this Jesus movement, which is all about changing transformed lives. That's the best that could happen. And she went from living asking fear-based questions to asking questions that were based in bravery and hope. So my question to you today is, What's the best that could happen to you if you were to step out in faith and live this kingdom of heaven here on earth? Forget about what's the worst. Oh, I could make an awkward situation with my work employees or oh, you know, I'll be be labeled as that crazy Christian. No, forget about what's the worst that could happen because we know that very rarely do our worst fears come true. Instead, let's think about what's the best that could happen. What could God do through you if you would just live for him the way that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? How could your life be different? I mean, you've got this blessing of, man, you could change someone's life forever, but it changes you too. If you've ever been involved in a situation where you've had this encounter with somebody and Jesus was present and you just felt it, you never walk away unchanged. You always leave changed as well. That sounds like a pretty best case scenario to me. So my prayer is that we will live out these words of Jesus. And I don't know how you'll live them out. And you'll live them out in a different way than I'm living them out. But if you'll follow the lead of Christ, you'll be exactly where you should be. And you will be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This morning I got up and there was a quote on my Facebook thread. And uh, I actually posted it on there a few years ago. It was on my time hop. And I thought, wow, this is just a great way to end it. As we've talked about Matthew 5, it sounds a lot of times like a list of to-do's and don't-do's. And it's really not. It's a way of living. Henry Nouwen, in his book, Relentless Tenderness of Jesus, says this. Christianity is not an ethical code. It's a love affair. A spirit-filled way of living, aimed at making us Professional lovers of God and people. It's my prayer. I don't know where you fall. Maybe you say, I've never been transformed the way Paul talks about. I've never been changed the way that Jesus is implying. Today could be your day of salvation. That's the best that could happen. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray. But many of us here say, yeah, I'm trying to live for Jesus. And and maybe God is teaching me something new or I'm seeing that next step. My prayer is that you will take it. My prayer is that you will understand, just like the middle section of Romans 12 says, we are the body of Christ. And you doing it in isolation, like a cut-off finger or a cut-off toe, doesn't work. You need to be connected to the body. So will you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Jesus, there are people here today or listening online that don't know you. And I'm so thankful that they've tuned in to listen. And I pray that your your spirit has been speaking to them and has been teaching them. Maybe nothing even that I'm saying, but your spirit is moving. God, I pray for anyone that maybe hasn't experienced this transformation I pray that today will be their day of salvation. And if this is someone that wants to know you, I pray that they'll pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I don't even know you like I should, but I want to know you. I want to love you. I thank you that I'm learning that you love me even before I knew you were. With a relentless, reckless, all-pursuing love. Jesus, I'm ready to surrender. Jesus, I'm ready to let go of the, the pilot's manuals, uh, controls, and I'm ready to let you guide me. I'm hearing this sonic boom and it's telling me that I've got sin in my life and I need you to, to forgive me of it. So God, I pray that, that you will take the sin of my life and that you will wash it as white as snow. I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins and then I pray that you'll help me to start to live a transformed life because once you wash me clean, continue to wash me and keep me clean. Pray this in your name. And Jesus, I pray that if there are people that say, I've been kind of a casual Christian. Matthew 5 and Romans 12. Do not mention casual Christians. I pray that You will help us to completely surrender to You. I've never seen a completely surrendered follower of Christ that is casual about anything. So I pray that You will make us so engaged in what's going on in the world around us and how Your Spirit can use us to be hands and feet and love in action. I pray for that For me and for those that are here today. And God, I also pray that you'll help us as a church. God, I pray that that 840 Taylor will be a beacon of light to the surrounding neighborhoods and people that need to see the God colors and the God flavors. That's what we want as a people. I thank you that you are a big enough God that you can save us individually And You can guide us collectively. And we give You permission to do that now. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus, the One who spoke these words, and the One who saves us now. Amen.
1: As we come to a time of communion, um, you know i I some, if you guys notice you know when when Garen asked me to come up here and do this it's a lo- it looks a little different and it's just because you know I was you know when garen used to he used to ask me a while ago actually hey can you do communion? can you, can you? I said no no, no I don't want to do, it. do it. and he said you know why not and he asked me, hey do you wanna preach my like, oh I'm ready for it whenever you need it, but can you do communion no nah, no nah, not this week, not this week and and I really wanted to do some studying up on it before I got up here and started uh, you know participating in in you know in a kind of you know going through the steps. And, and as I started to study more and more on it, I, I, I realized for myself personally at least that every time the communion would come around, I would always remember the time that Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body, you know, broken for me and my blood, you know, shed for you. Do this remembrance of me. But then I realized, I said, man, you know, we do this in remembrance of him and who he is. And so a lot of the times, you know, I've always done it to say like, you know, Lord, you know, you know, that day you broke... You broke the bread, and that day you know you said your blood was going to be. But it's like no, no, no. You know we have to remember who God is. So it's it's almost like a, the way that I look at it now, you know, as as I look at it, it's, it's almost like if you were to go to like a gravesite of somebody, you know, or if you were to go to you know um, a ceremony and, and remember them. But the difference that I'm reminded this morning is that if we were to go to the gravesite of Jesus, it would be an empty tomb, and he wouldn't be there anymore, because He's alive and he's active and he's working in our lives now. And so we can remember him not only for what he's done, but for what he is doing in our lives. And so I want you to take a moment to yourself and think of what God has already done in your life. For you and for your family, your kids, for yourself, you know, think of some things that he's done in your life in the past. You know, the the times where he came through at the last second. Isn't God always good at coming through sometimes at the last second? Sometimes at the last second. And I want you to think of the times. Think of, take another moment here and let's think of what God is doing in our lives even now. You know, a, lot of, a lot of times as we go back and we see what God is doing, if you go back in that moment, you didn't even realize that he was doing it in that moment. and it's, He's moving in our lives even here and now, and sometimes we don't even realize it. so if you will, in remembrance of Jesus, not only for what He was, but what He is doing in our lives, even here and now, take and eat. For not only the salvation that He provides for us, when we come to Him in repentance and in prayer. But not only the fact that He could save us, but that He could keep us saved. You see, God is in the business of taking an unclean person out of a clean world and cleaning them up, putting them back in that dirty world and keeping them clean. And so for our God, who not only has saved us, but continues to save us. Father, we thank you for all that you do. Lord, we thank you for all that you are doing. We thank you for your salvation and for your plan in our lives. And Father, I pray that as a church, Lord, that we would remember what a faithful God you are. That we would remember that you are a God that has a plan for us and we would seek out that plan earnestly in our lives. You have a purpose for every single one of us here. Father, I ask that we follow that purpose, that you guide us to that purpose, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. We stand with me? You may have noticed that we didn't pass the peace this morning, and that's because we're going to do that after we sing our benediction. We're going to benedict, and then I'm going to pass the peace with you, and I'm going to encourage you, as you leave, maybe you want to pass the peace and invite someone to lunch and break bread with them and continue... This process of living in peace with each other. So, we're going to do that right afterwards, but will you sing with me our benediction? We sing hallelujah, let your kingdom come in our hearts, in our homes. Let your will be done as we go in your name. We shout and we proclaim... Let your will be done in us. And God's will is peace. Nothing lacking, nothing broken. And so, let's, uh, let me say to you, well, we don't even need it. May the peace of the Lord be with you today. Thank you. Go and be that peace for someone today.